I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Today, we've got accomplished actor and Tony Award nominee Sam Trammell, who was most widely recognized for his starring role of Sam Merlot in HBO's award-winning series, True Blood, the fantasy drama that set rating records for the network for its seven-year run. Sam has a long list of accomplished roles in film and TV, from Dexter to the award-winning dramedy This Is Us to the hit movie The Fault in Our Stars, as well as blockbusters like Kong, Skull Island. Sam appears in several indie films, including About Ray with Naomi Watts, Susan Sarandon, and Elle Fanning, and he co-wrote and produced and starred in the indie film All Mistakes Buried. A theater veteran on and off Broadway, Sam earned a Tony nomination and the Clarence Derwent Award for his role in Ah! Wilderness at Lincoln Center. Many may not know that Sam is also a talented musician who plays a variety of instruments, and although not a self-proclaimed singer, he recently had the opportunity to sing for the first time with Mandy Moore on This Is Us. He currently resides in Los Angeles with his family and is an advocate for clean oceans and beaches, working with the nonprofit organization Oceana. So let's rewind to the beginning and say it forward with Sam Trammell. So I know that you were born in one of my favorite cities in the world, all-time favorite mm. cities in the world, that if I lived in New Orleans, I'd be two towns just massively fatter than I am right now. <laughs> You'd be a five by it's, five. <laughs> right, exactly. It's not an exercise city. You don't Did go you there. grow up there? <laughs> I lived there twice, actually. I was born there, lived there for a year, moved to Dallas for a year, moved to an Indian reservation or Native American reservation, you know, as we call it now, um, in North Dakota for two years, then back to New Orleans for three, and then to Alexandria, Louisiana, then to West Virginia. So I, I remember my parts of New Orleans that I remember were sort of kindergarten, first grade, preschool, kindergarten, first grade. I remember Mardi Gras, you know, when you go to, when you're in Mardi Gras, when you're a kid, what you do is you yell, give me something, mister, and they throw beads, and that's <laughs> yeah. what you do. You yell, give me something, mister, and then you're just chasing beads everywhere and, like, on the ground. I was well, part in of New the, Orleans was, for Mardi Gras. That, have you ever been there? Uh, oh, it's my favorite. Like, I, New York City, I lived in for 28 years, but New Orleans is probably a, a place that I would live in next uh, once I mm-hmm. don't have a practical reason to live in L.A. <laughs> but what part of the town were you living in? I was living in Metairie, but okay. right on the— edge. It was this perfect little area because it was three little streets that were all to themselves. There was so there was no through traffic. And, was there a lot of kids? Tons of kids. And we just we just played outside all the time and and we're on our bikes and you know riding around and we were never in our houses. You know, we were just outside playing. Why did you move so much? Well, my dad is a general surgeon. There was med school at Tulane in New Orleans, then residency in in Dallas. And then at the end of the Vietnam War, he did service, and he did it on a Native American reservation called wow. Belcourt, and that he had to do two years, so we did that. And then it was back to New Orleans, and he met a guy uh, in med school at Tulane from West Virginia, and we ultimately decided to go there. The moving around, it was happy New Orleans, but I think the moving around started to get to me after New Orleans. And we went to Alexandria, where my parents were high school sweethearts, and that was a sort of a transition time where I think I was in second grade, and those two years were maybe a little more difficult. But then I got to West Virginia and and really had a good, really loved growing up there. And you have two siblings. I have a younger brother and a younger sister, yeah. So were you all, yeah. you must have been each other's friends then because you were just the three of you moving around and you hadn't, didn't know anybody else. Yeah, my brother and I, he's just a year and a half younger. We were, you know, we played together all the time. And my sister's seven years younger, so... You know, she was, and she's a girl, and she's a girl. The, the baby, she's a girl, right? <laughs> I played with her a lot. She was like my football. Like I would play these games where I would tackle her, and she loved it. Like we played all these <laughs> kind of, you know, sort of soft, rough games in the in the house. Both New Orleans and West Virginia are very musical places, and you are a musical guy. Mm-hmm. How did that happen in your life? Well, you know, I think it's just one of those things. My um, my my dad's side of the family is musical. Like my 
and has perfect pitch, you know, which I don't understand. And my dad played piano and trombone and played bass in a band. And I don't know, like I, I had the Duragur sort of piano lessons in second grade, which I didn't like. But then later on, I, I, I was in a band. I started playing in bands um, when I was 13. And then I started playing, uh, revisiting the piano and just playing by ear, just learning like just like George Winston pieces mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. Really got serious about piano uh, like maybe 10 years ago. I had started studying with this guy, you know, kind mm-hmm. of taking it a little more seriously. But I'm I just dabble. I'm thinking about doing that. My mother was a concert pianist, <gasps> spectacularly talented. Wow. And I'm thinking about learning to play the piano. My son, Stephen, plays. It's um, a fantastic way to spend time and to learn how to play. It's also very difficult. When did you find that you had a performance uh, desire? Uh, <laughs> well, I, my, you know, it's funny. Just my best friend in seventh grade, John Lim, was a guitarist, and he had a guitar, and he had a bass. So that's why – that is <laughs> why, like, I started playing did you you that kind of music. You picked up the bass? I picked up the bass. Yeah. So I was the bass player. And we had a band for, like, three years, and then I had different bands. What did you play? Like, what was it like? Well, we played covers. It was all Mm -hmm. like Led Zeppelin, The Who, (laughs) you know, The Violent Femmes, R.E.M. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this. I spent a lot of those years listening to records and trying to pick out bass lines. And and I really enjoyed that. I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, that that there's a certain time in your life that whatever you focus on, you sort of – your brain – is developing in a way that you sort of gain a sort of extra ability in that thing. And it's that time period of like 13, 14, 12 to 14. And I, you know, I'm able to, to do that with kind of complicated piano pieces now. And I just wonder if, because I was doing that with bass, you know, like yeah. I was in a rock band that, that, that sort of. The ability to pick up and translate what you hear into yeah, playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did my first play. I was not an actor ever or, didn't even acting was not in the the consciousness. I mean, I didn't I didn't even go see movies really. I mean, I there just wasn't really much of that happening in my life. But when I went to college, it was very intense and the theater world was very it was very happening at Brown is where I went. And I did oh, a play yeah. my last semester and that's that when I did that, that performance was like times 10 the feeling of excitement doing that as opposed to music. Music is was great, but when I did that, um they did a play. It was really What was it like crazy. to go in that late into the process in a community of actors and do, do a role? Like your senior year in college? Yeah, it was really intimidating because it was, a, it was a very clicky world and it was very competitive. And all these kids uh, who are actors at school had, had acted in their high schools. And there was, a, there was a hierarchy. And they do this thing called New Plays Festival. They used to. They would pr- produce like nine plays by graduate students. And they so they'd need a ton of actors. And this one friend of mine, who was an actor then and is now a musician, and I was a musician <laughs> then, he was like, you should, you should audition for a play. And I'd always been thinking about it. And I just thought, yes, that's, I, I'll, I'll do it. But I needed him, for some reason, I needed somebody to give me permission, you know, unconsciously, <laughs> you know, because I, yeah. I thought this isn't my thing. Who, who am I to go in and, and you know, yeah. you all are the people that do this. I'm yeah. And and I got cast, and it was the hit play, um, you know, of of the New Plays Festival, and it was just I was just immediately it was like a vocation, it was a calling. I was just immediately just kind of just that's blown amazing away. story. First time ever, you go yeah. out, you get cast, you get into a huge play, and you know, it turns out to be your path in life. That's a very serendipitous moment for sure. It really was because I so I kind of been I'd kind of been. Not flailing, but I wasn't really excited about where I was. I, I went in as a physics major and quickly realized I was going to be in the bottom of my class forever in that. The fact that you got into Brown as a physics major. I, a- I mean, I was good at math, but no. I mean, you know, you're getting in with <laughs> with genius people that are like I couldn't – I got to a point where I couldn't understand the concepts even. So then I switched over and started studying semiotics, which is a – very esoteric word, and it's basically it's a very interdisciplinary, you know, study there. And it's very brown. It's semiotics. Yeah, it's yeah, so it's like brown. The study of signs and sign systems and representation. How something Symbolism. represents something mm-hmm. else. There's psychoanalysis, psychoanalytic theory, where you know, like dreams are obviously semiotic. There's film theory, um, looking at images and sound and 
the order of images and how that represents something. There's, of course, literary theory, mm -hmm. looking at literature. There's Marxist theory because you look at people and, and, as com and commodity and, you know, Karl Marx and Engels. I was very into French – the contemporary sort of French philosophers. Like I was all up into Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault, who was a historian, mm -hmm. and I actually went to Paris my junior year just to study and actually audited his class. And wow. I was taking classes with the people we were reading. So I got so deep into that. What do you and do got, with that when you when Well, exactly. That? What do you do with it? So I got I kind of got burned out because I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I, am I going to teach? Um I mean, there's some people that became big directors like Doug Lyman was a semiotics mm -hmm. major and but I I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what to do. You know, I I was sort of like I applied to grad schools and just wasn't that excited to go and be in academia. You know, it's a very sort of sitting back and analyzing and Writing sort of seems sort of circular. People go and they study that, then they become teachers, then they teach it, and people go and study it. And yeah, and, how but do it you is. And you're writing, you're writing like critiques of critiques of critiques. You're like you're writing a critique of Irigaray's critique of Lacan, who was critiquing <laughs> Freud. You know, like, yeah. you're like okay, so oh esoteric. God. Yeah, but it's interesting though, as a young person, to understand the systems of thought and to be able to apply them. Like for example, when you're breaking down a script to try to understand what is the writer trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for sure. And mm -hmm. a lot of what drew me to acting was just um, it was very, you know, literally active. I mean, I got to just sort of you have to really think a lot when you're preparing and thinking about the script, but then you have to let it all go. So you're, you get sort of both sides of of that. You get the challenge of not thinking, and then the challenge of you know, obviously thinking. So what were the conversations like immediately after that hot play where you got sort of bitten by the bug? Like what, who were you talking to? What were you thinking about? Well, I was still writing my thesis, you know, on anti-Oedipus, which was a book <laughs> that Gilles Deleuze wrote. And I was, I was writing about the political reality of what he was trying to explain, which that was absurd. Like, you Sounds know, a little absurd. That? Who cares? But but it, it was sort of like, well, maybe I'll do another play. So I did another one. And then I was just... Still and then at people, Brown? I was still at Brown. Just last semester of mm -hmm. Brown. Last semester. There were people there auditioning for Yale and, you know, Juilliard and San Diego, all the big mm -hmm. graduate schools. And it was too late for me to do that. And I wasn't even... But what, ha but what really sort of was this big final straw with me was I got cast in the summer theater company, which you do four plays and you actually get paid like 200 bucks a week, you mm -hmm. know, not much, but it the felt at, like- The one at Brown? It, one at Brown. Okay. And that was, that was really, re everybody wanted that. Yeah. And I got cast in that and that, and that I think was really like, oh, maybe you can do this. And people were moving to New York. I mean, you're in this, that was one of the good things about where I went was people were actually going and doing this. So it wasn't this idea. People were moving to New York. They were going to wherever to pursue acting. So- I knew a bunch of people going to New York, and so I thought – I was just like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go give it a shot. You're like 21 years old I was now. 21. I had four months of experience, <laughs> and I had no – I mean I knew some people there. And it wasn't your lifelong dream. It so wasn't my lifelong dream. I felt like an imposter. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I felt like an imposter, and I'm sure a lot of people were like, who is this guy? Right. Did you have like, a true friend at that point who was in it? Who supported you, or no. was it? Yeah. So you had that that tension, right? I was. I started kind of dating a girl that was in the summer theater, and she was going to New York too. So, I went. I went to New York. I didn't tell anybody I was going, but I kind of wanted to just go. I went. What happened was I, I drove a friend's car. These friends said, "We'll buy your bus ticket if you drive our car to Vermont for him." So I was like, "Okay, I'll drive your car to Vermont." And so then I took a bus from Vermont there. And got off the bus and hadn't told anybody I was coming because I just wanted a moment in Manhattan where I was disconnected from everything. And I was just in this big city. You did that intentionally. I did it intentionally. And I got off the bus and started walking. It was at night. And I started walking around before I even called this girl. And I think I said, I'll be, I'm coming at some point this week. I don't know. It was a weird thing. I just wanted to have that sort of, I don't know. I don't know what it is like uh, being completely disconnected. When I say disconnected, I don't mean like spaced out. I mean literally disconnected, not having a connection to somebody knowing where I am necessarily. My parents knew I was in the city, but not where I was staying. But you weren't on Fifth Avenue. So yeah. is, was that a pattern for you from – I don't know. It's, or is it a pattern for there's you? There's definitely an element of that of like 
being alone mm-hmm. and being away that mm-hmm. I've always been drawn to. Like I've kind of like somebody that is a little with can be likes that withdrawn privacy and and kind of quietness. There's mm-hmm. a quietness when you know you don't have to make a call and nobody knows where you are. There's a mental quietness to that where you have no sort of obligation, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I ended up calling this girl. I stayed with her for two days and then I found a place to live and I was living on the floor of an apartment, a shared apartment in Alphabet City. It was so sketchy then. It was early, it was 91. Mm -hmm. And there was a mattress just that had been on the floor of that apartment that I slept on. The window was broken (laughs) into the air shaft. I could hear the people and it was some random guy I didn't know and I stayed there for two weeks. And then I found a roommate, another roommate. Did you have money? Good question. (laughs) Good question. My father had saved a little bit of money. I thought it was a lot of money then, but I look at it now and I go, that wasn't very much. (laughs) Had saved some money for graduate school. And my parents were so supportive. And he was like, oh, you're you're going to be an actor now? Okay, well, (laughs) here's this money that I saved for graduate school. Wow, that's amazing. Take it and use that. And so I was able to use that to help me just find a place. Oh, makes you know? me want to cry. What a lovely story. I Good know. Dad. And and then I started getting part-time jobs. You know, like I had, I worked, I literally went to a video store that I thought was a video production place, but it was a video rental place. Which one? Well, it was called New York Video, and it was one yeah. of the best in New York. It was it's really good. First Avenue and between 52nd and 53rd, and I became very good friends with the owner. And so you walked in thinking that it, it was, was a video production place. And, has, and, and it was a store that had Yeah, rec- it was a video rental place. <laughs> like a blockbuster like, kind of place. And I didn't know anything about movies at that point. I was going to say, did you start to become a student of film because yes. you were there all day yes. waiting around? Yes, I that's did. That's amazing. I did. And of course, and I rented all kinds of movies there, and that's when I learned about everything. But that wasn't enough to pay for an apartment right. in New York. I saw in the paper of the New York Times, there was this thing that said, give us 100 bucks, and we're going to teach you proofreading. And so I was like, okay. So I went and did this thing, and they taught me how to proofread. But not only – that was not the big thing that they did. They gave me a list of people at different proofreading companies and who to contact and how to sort of – fake it till you make it, and sort of lie your way into these firms. Law firms. Probably, law firms. Yeah. Big law firms yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. And 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 Merrill Lynch. In fact, I was a proofreader for a long time for the quarterly reports of Merrill Lynch. So I kind of like started doing that. You needed to make that. money. So you were trying to have a day that job That pays by very day. well. Yeah, that was and that exactly. Part. And that so I was doing sort of redlining and blacklining at law firms. And then I got this one job at doing the quarterly reports for Merrill Lynch. And I had that job for like, Four years. And it was great. I mean, I don't know. I just liked doing that. It was better than wet. I wasn't a waiter. Like, I could, I don't know. I'd never waited tables and I just, just didn't do that. Um, when you do that, were you, are you looking for um, spelling mistakes or grammar or both? Oh, both. Just curious. I've never uh, heard both, anybody. But also, You're the only person I ever heard in my whole life. That oh, did my God. No, 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 no. Both. But good, also, I have a friend who did it. She's a, now a very big um, Broadway musician, but she yeah. was struggling and that's what she did. But in law firms, it's, it's really complicated because there's you have to market in a certain way so that they know what kind of change there is from the original document. And it, it, and it's, it's very intense. It's very, because you know what law firms are like in anywhere, but especially in Manhattan, big money, big clients, big pressure. I mean, I was working in the World Trade Center uh, and you just go to different places. The other part of the story is how I got a, an agent, which is I, I just – they tell you not to do this, but I, I got a bunch of headshots and I just started walking into agencies with a headshot and my three credits from, from right. college. <laughs> and I walked into some casting offices too. I walked into uh, what at the time was Paradigm and I dropped off my resume and picture and, one, and they called me back and said, hey, do you want to come in and read a monologue? And I came in and read a monologue and they said, cool. And then they said, do you want to come back and do it again for more people? I did it again. And they said, okay, well, great. And I left. And they called me and they said, you know, we're going to freelance you. We're not going to sign you. We're going to freelance you. You know, here's your first Here's your first audition. There's this new movie called Sen of a Woman. I want oh. you to go in for it. Wow. So here's how lucky I was. <laughs> I went in for that movie and I almost got it. I went all the way to screen testing with Al Pacino. Oh um, I went through five auditions. You're it was 21 me, years old. Eth- it was you're... me and Ethan Hawke, Matt McGrath, 
and Chris O'Donnell who got the part. It was down to the four of us. And I met Al Pacino. (laughs) Wow. And I was reading with him. And I remember he wouldn't look at me because he was working on his own character. He was working on a blind guy. And Marty Bregman, I think, was the cast, was the director. And I had done nothing. Right. Your resume was this. Right. But we had to sign contracts because I I was so – they signed me because I was literally signing contracts because that's what happens in a test. You you make the deal before. So then I, you know, I didn't become a movie star immediately. (laughs) Like then it was, that was my big thing. And then it was like, okay, now the real work is going to happen. And I ended up doing a bunch of regional theater and theater. I saw you were at Williamstown. Was that fun? Williamstown was great. I did Our Town. It was me and Callista Flockhart. That was a huge job for me because Williamstown is pretty much is the most prestigious regional theater yeah. job you can get. Yeah, and it's a target rich audience for people who could help you with your career. Oh, completely, yeah. like all the all the big wigs. You know, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow was there at the same time, and her, you know, um, her mother, and and uh, yeah, and uh, Christopher Walken was working there that summer doing, I think, the Seagull, Gwyneth, and um, yeah, all those, all that stuff. So that was exciting. That was a big job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, but you know, in New York, it's kind of a club. You know, if you go to Juilliard or Yale, you can sometimes start working your way through the public theater and getting in. But it's really – you really have to prove yourself. And I had to do a lot of regional theater out of town. And I had auditioned, for instance, Lincoln Center so many times and not gotten it before I finally got the play that I did there. All Wilderness? All Wilderness, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I had auditioned for them for so long. You really have to – prove yourself you know it's kind of what is it like finally getting into a production like all wilderness because it's all over new york city people are talking about it all the time the people you're on stage with are people you want to be on stage with what is that like oh well it was i mean it was just so exciting because you're working at you know the the opera is there and you're working at the, the lincoln you know lincoln center it's like the cultural mecca of of the city in a way you know and, I, you know, and I had the main part, you know, in that play. And it was uh, Craig T. Nelson and Deb, Deborah Monk played my parents. And it was just really, you know, you, you don't really realize what it is at first because you're working. You're not working there. You're working in a rehearsal space somewhere else. And, you know, the floor is taped out as to where the stage is and where the props are and wherever, you know, and you have. And then you get into that space. And I remember getting into that space and it's three quarter round and you just don't know how you can fill it up with your presence and your voice. You just, you feel so small and you feel it's just, there's nowhere to hide. And I remember the first preview was one of the scariest things I've ever done. Like I just go waiting backstage to go on, knowing the house was full of people at Lincoln Center. And you also don't know what the play is in a way before you get in front of an audience. Like I didn't realize the comedy that was happening. And it was just this funny thing. It was just real a real high for me. Like the the poster was me, you know. Mm-hmm. The poster yes. was me, and so there were these big banners outside that were just me in a in a boat, you know. Wow. And it was there was so much pressure, you know, in a way, and and it just went really well. And I, you know, I ended up getting a Tony nomination yeah. from it. What is that moment of co creation like when you go on stage and the laughter starts and you start to really get it? What is that like inside of yourself as a performer? Oh, like, it's just it's so addictive and it's just <laughs> I mean like, I you know, it's like I'm getting attention. It's like like you know, it's like people like me. Look at they're laughing at me. You know, it's like I mean, there's they definitely like, like a massive <laughs> ego, you know, yeah. thing. Wow. But it's different every night too, right? It is different every night. And and you start to figure out what the play is when you get in front of an audience. And like I said, I didn't I didn't really know how things were going to go. None of us did until you get in front of an audience. Did it. you ever have a period of time when you struggled? Oh, my Hell yeah. God. <laughs> yes. You and did. it continues. Absolutely. Because so, you've pretty – and since I've known you, you pretty much work all the time. Well, I, I mean, that's, well, that's – To be a working actor is – I don't work all the time. I mean, I, I, there, work, are, there are times when I'm not working and times – there are so many times when I want jobs that I don't get. I mean, all the time. I mean, and it happens for everyone. You know, it doesn't matter what level you're – where you are. There's always another level of stuff that you want. Unless you're Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, you know, or a few other handful of people, there's always going to be a part that you're going to want that there's going to be somebody who's more qualified, more famous – more desirable that you're going to have to beat out, mm. you know? And so it is, it's, it's really warfare. I mean, it's like <laughs> I compare acting to like World War I being in a trench. It's like warfare. You are constantly, constantly, constantly fighting 
for work and and constantly thinking about how old you are, where things are going, where the job's going to be. Can you continue to make a living? I have less anxiety than I used to because I do have some money in the bank, okay? So that takes away a little anxiety, but it's, you know, you want to, even if you have money in the bank, you want to work, you know, even if you didn't need to work, people that don't need to work at all because they have tons of money in the bank. Most actors are, at this point, are so, are very ambitious. Anybody that survived has a certain level of ambition. If you have a certain level of ambition, you have a certain level of desire to achieve certain things. And I think we all want to be at the big parties. We all want to be at the Golden Globes. We all want to be at the Emmys. We all want to be at the Oscars. And we all want nominations. I mean, that's what I want. Is there a brotherhood amongst you? Yeah, definitely uh, a shorthand and a sort of sense of knowing somebody because they're sort of in the circus too. You know what I mean? They have the same life. They've been through the struggles of, like, especially people that I know from New York who did theater and still do theater and came up with me in the 90s. And and you bond, you know, you bond because you're, especially in theater, also in movies, you know, you're, you're bonding through because of fear in a way. Like, you, you have this thing to go out and do, and it's scary, but then it's exciting. And you've done this thing, like, the show must go on. It, we can't mess up a line. If somebody messes up a line, you got to pick it up for them. We got to do that. You have to work as a team. Everybody's always, you're always working as a team. On movies, you're working as a team. You're you're trying to help the other person off camera. They're trying to help you. You're trying to do things with prop. You're trying to work with sound to put your prop down at the right point where you're not talking. You're working with lighting. You're trying to hit the mark. You're working with the, such it's a just, human it's, thing. It's so yeah, human. it's so fun. It's but it's so fun. Like that's why I really like working on camera because there's so many different people that have so many different roles to do, and it's like this all oh, this big company of people trying to get this one thing, and and you and you have a lot of different things you have to do that have that are in addition to the acting that just have to become unconscious and it's fun it's so fun it's just Have you ever directed? I haven't. I do I have Do you have the directing bug? You know what? I don't. I don't have the directing bug. I mean, I'm I'm sure that I'll do it at some point. I've written and produced and I think writing is more because writing something for me to do was was an incredibly expi- you know inspiring experience. I, I know that I, I would I, I would definitely love to direct. I mean, there's a lot of things I would love. I would love to light. Like lighting is really interesting. That's to interesting. Me. Really uh-huh. interesting. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I'm so distracted by acting. I'm sure I will. But I we just had, we've talked to William H Macy, who's a longtime friend and client of Mars, and I talked to him about it, and he's addicted. I mean, just you know, he obviously he's a performer. But he loves yeah. directing. Loves. Oh, he does. Yeah. yeah. I know. I have so many friends that have done it, and they. It sounds amazing because yeah, you they use say a acting part of is great, brain. but directing is you know addictive. Yeah. 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 And I'm I'm sure, I'm sure I'll do it at some point. I'll be the the one actor that that doesn't have the bug to direct. Yeah. Yet. So <laughs> take that going back to this notion of like how it's trench warfare, getting the right work and getting the right opportunities to get into the award shows and so on and so forth. What is the inner monologue, I guess you'd call it, with yourself to stay in a in a positive place and mm. to stay like in the right energy so that you can have that energy to get that stuff because you know you could buy in to a whole bunch of negative stuff like what's your mm-hmm. what techniques do you use to well gosh it's such a mental game especially at auditions because you you have to be relaxed and not be thinking about then you go into the room and the first person you see you see somebody else who's waiting you're like typically you know what'll happen is you go oh that person yeah that they they're right for it you know not, uh, you know yeah. that happens mm-hmm. and you have to be you know calm and go in and talk to the people first and chat and have a good rap and then boom go into character you know it it's just like anything else i mean it's just you have to look for that inner zen or find things that you like to do you know you have to realize i mean it it's warfare but also it's not in a way. And that's what you realize, especially when you get on the other side. It's really – it is a competition, but it's not because you realize how people get cast. A lot of times it doesn't have to do with the person who's the best actor. It has to do with how you fit into the family or you know, a number of other things like what color your hair is. They need this color hair because the, the other person's hair is brown. They need a blonde. And you're really sort of more in competition with yourself really than other people, honestly. And – you just want to do as well as you can, and you know. Um, do, you have, do you have a preference for know. theater over um, television or film? 
Well, you know, they're both so different, and I'm so I'm kind of just blown away when I say I haven't done a play in like over ten years. Because you From, really started out in New York, and yeah, you know, I long. know that was my thing, and and I think I started out in New York not because I wanted to do theater, but because that was the closest big city of New York or L.A. It had to be one of the two. Right now, I'm I'm finding the work in front of a camera for me more interesting. It's just what I'm more into right now. I love theater. And when I go see plays, it, it sort of makes me want to go back. But I don't have a lot of people I know who've done the amount of theater that I have really go back to it, have just gone back to it a lot more than I have. And I'm sure I'm going to go back to it. What was the impetus that brought you to Los Angeles and, and to get – I mean, obviously, you've had a fantastic career in television. So what happened to get you from there to – from New York to Los Angeles? I had done a show called Going to California that was on Showtime. It was their second show. It just lasted a year. Honestly, I had been getting tired of New York, and it felt like parts of it at that time to me I, – I wanted some – there were a couple of things. I felt like career – it just felt like a dead end. It just felt like I was doing these plays. I was not getting – and I was doing a lot of independent films um, at the same time. But I just wasn't getting the breaks as far as doing bigger movies. And it's funny because TV then, we didn't do TV. It was a dry spell for television. In well, those years. it was there was there was a, there was a stupid arrogance about it that if you were a New York theater actor, you didn't do TV, and so there was a bunch of us like this whole oh, can't do TV. This whole like <laughs> you know big Sam Rockwell and Billy Crudup and and Bill Lief, Hoffman, all these guys Lief. were we were all the same age, all in New York together, and a number of other people, Josh Hamilton, another people that aren't. Ethan Hawke that aren't even as, you know, that have done even more theater. Um, but there was there was a change in TV in the late 90s, you know. And of course, people would do the Law and Order, but there was a change where TV started becoming, you know, when Helen Hunt got nominated and won for one an Emmy and won an Oscar in the same year, the whole TV thing started to change and it started to becoming becoming more of a thing that people would do. So I didn't do any TV except for this one episode of Maximum Bob um, in New York almost at all. The funny, the thing was in New York in the mid-90s was like, get a pilot and hope it doesn't get picked up because then you get the money and then you don't have to do the TV show. So all we wanted <laughs> right. was enough money to keep us doing theater. And it's so it's just so different now, obviously. And But the root of theater is working every single day. Yeah. And with television, you work six weeks or whatever the period <clears throat> of time is, and then you have periods of time where you're not working at all. So mm -hmm. as somebody who's driven like you are, when those down periods happen because they happen to be editing or writing right. the next season, you're twiddling around going, right. I'm not working right now. Well, that was a great thing about New York is you could always find a, a reading of a play or there was so much community if you could be constantly working, which is a little more harder to do in L.A. But, but just to answer your question about coming to, to L.A., I, I think I was just getting a little tired of New York. I think I'd been there for 12 years. I, I just needed some grass. Now you were in your mid-30s. I was in my mid-30s, and I just needed some trees and some grass. Yeah, I was going to say not grass, but grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just exactly. to be clear. Exactly. Um, and I would come out here for pilot season and drive up the coast and just, just be in awe of the gorgeous, of the yeah. beauty of Southern California. And so I literally just wanted to live here. I mean, that was probably more than anything. I just wanted to change. I just wanted to change from being in What this was going on in your personal life? Were you with the girl that you went to New York for that you were kind of dating? Or what was happening in your personal life? No. I, you know, honestly, I was, I was really – I was sort of – I was kind of single, you know, um, coming out. I didn't – I didn't have a, a ton of real long-term— Handsome, single, not gay guy in L.A. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of any of that, you know, unfortunately. It's because you, <laughs> you were laser-focused on work. The youth is wasted on the young. I Did know, Mark right? Mark Twain Shit. say that? Ain't that, said that the truth? Somebody said that. Used to be so pretty. Oscar Wilde. <laughs> somebody, somebody brilliant said that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I came out here and uh, I did struggled for a while and then got true blood, you know. Which is, let's talk about that. I mean, seriously, talk about, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah he had, huge. It was. And, you know, um, Alan Ball had, had done Six Feet Under, so. Fantastic was, show. I loved that show. I was so sad Such a brilliant, wonderful guy, too. And, and what he, a great yeah, guy. Written American Beauty. Yeah. Um, so it was Alan Ball's new show. So there was a lot of buzz around it. But nobody, you never know what, that something's going to become what it's going to become. Uh, nobody knew it would be, get as big as it was. And. Yeah, we made we made the first season and nobody'd you know obviously nobody'd seen it yet. And I remember going to Comic Con, which we all of course you know it was it's the perfect place for True Blood, and we all became 
you know, we would, the years later, we would go there and literally have police escorts. And, <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. Wow. But uh, we went there the first year and we're like handing out, I feel it was like we were handing out flyers saying, all right, we got a new show, uh, you know, True Blood. I remember, yeah, being there. And, but it was kind of a slow start. The, the writer's strike happened after three episodes. So we didn't know if we were going to come back. And then we came back and, and it wasn't a, a, a big hit at first. And then it slowly became, HBO's biggest show ever, right. you know, until Game of Thrones dethroned us. But as far as money making, we were the biggest, you know, show. But the, it was yeah. it was also at the tail end of the DVD era. Mm -hmm. They were making tons of money on DVDs, which they can't do anymore. Mm -hmm. Where'd you but shoot it? We shot it here. The all the interior locations were at from the. It's called the lot. It's at Santa Monica and Formosa. But most a lot of our exterior stuff was off of. Uh, Malibu Canyon Road with Las Virginis, which goes from the 101, you know, to PCH. Before you get to the mountains, there's an area, a big ranch, and they call it a ranch, but it's forest, and it just has these huge trees, and and we use that for a lot of the exterior, and and they would take three months before, you know, before we would shoot every year and put moss up and grass, and they built a house, they built Sookie's house there, and and we use it for all kinds of things. And it was always 20 degrees colder there than, than <laughs> mm -hmm. here. So we would shoot at night all the time. Oh, boy. And it would be in the 30s. It would and, be, yeah, and cold. Be... I had heard it was very efficiently done because it was done close by and you guys could get in and get out and do whatever you needed to do. So It, it was, was a... yeah. We would go to, we would go to uh, Louisiana twice a year or once a year just to get some exterior shots that really could only be done in Louisiana, like mm -hmm. cypress trees coming out of the swamps. Do you think it helped to be originally from... New Orleans. It helped me. It helped me from being from Louisiana because it just made it feel more real. And I feel like my accent, I, you know, I just had that in my blood from mm -hmm. being, having lived there and having family there. And one of the first times we went there, we shot in a lake that used to be owned by my family, you know, generations ago. Wow. We drove by the cemetery where all of my dad's side of the family is buried in the smallest town, Dorlene, that you can imagine. The smallest town you can imagine in Louisiana. With just a few houses, we actually shot right there wow. at the gas station. Oh, my goodness. Crazy. How serendipitous is that? Crazy. Wow. How long was the period of time from when you came here till you got that? Like three years. Mm. Oh, it was a while. Yeah. Three and a half, four years. Yeah. And in that period of time, what were you doing? I was acting. I was doing some independent movies. I did some guest stars on some shows. So you were working? Yeah, I was working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was working. Yeah. What a chink, because that was... I mean, but that was a rocket ship to the moon. That show, it, yeah, it really was. It was, uh, it was a massive thing for everybody. What was thing. going on in your personal life? Well, let's see. I was with my current partner, Missy, and I had two kids, and you know, <laughs> I had, I had twins, as did Anna and Stephen, Anna Paquin and, and Stephen Moyer, who were on the show. They had twins while we were on the show. I mean, it was like seven years, well, seven seasons, eight years, right. It was kind of perfect for having kids because HBO gave us a lot of resources for the show. So we would have 20-day episodes on average. Most shows get like eight, okay? We would have 20, and we had usually four or five different storylines, right? Each actor was usually just in one storyline. So I would be working two or three days a week, some days more, some days less. So it was perfect for me to be in town doing that job and raising my kids. It's like working half time I, in a way. Yeah, and I was raising them. I was literally like burping them and <laughs> like raising them equally with, with Missy. Um, but it was a real gift to get to do that. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I got to be, you know, a mother and, you know, and a, you know to. Yeah, that's beautiful. That while working. Like, and very unusual for an actor. While working. Right. While working. While working in a place that you lived. While working in the place better. that I lived doing what I wanted. And that is a massive blessing, like a massive blessing. Would, have, are your parents alive? They both are still alive and still together. So they've seen your success and your the path that you've taken, and it turned out to be that money he saved for you for graduate school. <laughs> right off. Didn't go to waste. <laughs> yeah, they one of their one of the greatest moments I got to have with them was taking them to the Tony Awards and oh, going oh, yes. in the limousine. Oh to the my god, red your mother carpets. must have been out of her mind. Oh. <laughs> Out of her she mind. She had to go get her hair done and get her dressed. She, because my mom, it's so funny. She's kind of a ham, and you know, and she, she, the way it worked at the Tonys was that the, the limos would drive up to like I guess it was Radio City Music Hall, and there was there were all these fans on the other side of the street in bleachers, and my mom got out on the side 
I guess where the where the fan like on the side where uh, of the car where the road is, and all the fans they're just cheering for everybody, no matter who comes out. And so she got this massive applause when she stepped out, you know, <laughs> and she just loved it. And she waved and she got. The oh, that's applause. amazing. That is incredible. That stuff, I love that story. Oh, I can imagine gosh. that. Oh, she well, now, what it. about your siblings? Are you uh, everybody? Nobody else is in the business besides oh, you. Oh no, no. What do they do? Well, my brother has bought a sailboat. He has done one solo sail through the Bahamas for two months, and he's selling his house. He's written four books. He's on his fourth book, and he is going to live on his boat and sail around the world and write. Books. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I got to yeah. say, your parents should write a book about how to raise kids because you guys realized amazing accomplishments. I, what he's That's doing incredible. now, what he's doing now is so dangerous and <sighs> takes so much skill. Is and he doing so much it alone? Courage. Yes. He he's, sailed from Fort Lauderdale all the way to the, it's called the Ragged Islands, which is the, he sailed to the most desolate, most remote in the Bahamas. Uh, all by himself, and he d- he did this for two months. He sailed <laughs> solo, sailed for two months. It's no small feat. So when did he start sailing? Was that a thing well? My from- dad sailed, and we okay. sailed a little bit with kids when we were kids. But he, Paul, got sober, and he wrote a book about that too. Mm-hmm. And all yeah. of that energy, he was in a band, and and he worked, uh, um, you know, uh, in 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 St. Augustine, Florida. But he just got focused, laser focused on sailing. And he has learned everything and he knows how to work on his boat. Not married, no children. Not married, no children. And now is writing books and he's written three books that are actually selling pretty well. Like, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? That's amazing. And the same solitary gene that you talked about before. That's a good, that's a good thing to, a good Because he's a solo sailor, right? Mm -hmm. And then what about your sister? What's, What's she doing? My sister has three three girls and she lives in Orlando and she you know is raising her kids and you know she has a great marriage with her husband who... so no no extreme behavior like you and your brother <laughs> <laughs> no it is kind of extreme Just man- <laughs> my goodness my brother um no wow. she is much more uh devoted to you know bringing up these great girls and, right and uh wow she's awesome yeah is there anything in your profession that you long to do that you haven't gotten to do yet? I guess at some point I'll direct. I mean, you know, obviously I've spoken. I'm not, I don't have the massive passion for that right now. I'm kind of doing what I want to do. I, I want to have more success, you know, at what I'm doing now. And I want to get better. That's what's fun about what I do. Okay. That's what's really fun. And that's why, this is why I like doing camera work. It's because you can see what you did. And you can see how it's not good or how maybe parts of it were good. And you're always trying to to get the thing. You're yeah. always trying to get better. Yeah. What you're are always you... trying to get, you know, and that's a, it's a constant thing for me. And that's what makes this interesting for me. And that's why I'm staying in the game is because I'm not where I want to be. Like I'm not, you know, you're always trying to get better and it's fun. It's so fun mm-hmm. to figure that out. And because there's so much that goes into moments in a scene and and trying to, recreate reality or create reality, you know? Are you constantly watching reality to inform your craft? Not or really. How do you do Not it then? Really. What is your what is what are the things that make you better? What feeds that? Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with creativity. Um, because it gets to a point where you've done it so much that you have to figure out creative ways of inspiring yourself or creative ways of getting yourself to be free and not self-conscious, or creative ways to get yourself to certain emotions, or creative ways. So I was doing a lot of writing. I was doing drawing this past year. There's dream work that you can do where you you tap your dreams for inspiration. And there's a, a woman that I work with, and a lot of people in town work with this person. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Music, you know, it's not a, it's not a strict. You break down a script like this, and you do this. I mean, there is that, but then you want to, you just want to break out. I mean, I'm sure it's like musicians and artists. Everybody's looking for inspiration in different mm-hmm. ways, and you get to a certain age, and you've done it a certain amount of time. You know, I'm thinking about this new job that I have, and and I want it to be fun and interesting in the creative process. I don't want to just learn the lines and study the script and. 
you know, I want to find some kind of, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what it will be, but some kind of creative thing that will inspire so me. So when it's you're like in a- between work or in between jobs, you're spending your time honing your craft. You are. You are. You're also just absorbing life, you know, and you're trying to get experiences and you're reading books and you're playing music and you're going through your life, you know. Having kids was a massively great thing for me as an actor because it's added so much depth and understanding and love and pain and all of that you use, all of it you use. Are you going to be back on This Is Us? I love that uh, show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think my I, – I, I didn't read any of the reviews or anything, but I'm sure that my character was – not very well liked. <laughs> well, um, under the circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, it's I, a wonderful show. That it's show. such a good show, and I know that they can do anything on that show as far as bringing going time, you know, bringing people back or yeah. not. So you never know. You I never mean, know. It was, I enjoyed working on it. She's and I, a lo- Mandy Moore is a lovely actress, and she, she is. Yeah, I really enjoy that show. So what's next for you? There's a lot of stuff coming out. I mean, this Nancy, the new Nancy Drew movie that's coming out in a couple weeks. Um, I read every single Nancy Drew. <laughs> I read every single Tom Hardy, the Hardy Boys. I read every single Bobsy Twins. I read every single one of them. Nancy yeah. Drew is my favorite. Uh huh. Yeah, the new Sophia Lillis is the new generation Nancy Drew. She's she's amazing. She's an incredible actress. So that coming out, and then and then a re- and then speaking about this is us. I did a movie with Chrissy Metz called Breakthrough that's coming out on Easter. That is really an incredible true story about these three kids who. We're on this lake in winter, iced over a lake, and they fell through the ice. One of them was – two of them were pulled out quickly. The other one was underwater for 15 minutes, pronounced – not pronounced dead, but was was dead for, for basically 45 to 50 minutes. They kept doing CPR all the way to the hospital, um, and they finally got a little pulse, and they were like, well, he's going to be – that's incredible that he has a pulse. It's not going to last. It lasted. Oh, he's going to be brain damaged. The kid survived and I met him. Oh my god. And it's just an incredible story. Um so that Are you him? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm one of the doctors. Uh-huh. Yeah. And oh, then I there's can't a, wait to see that. Yeah, yeah me there's too. A, there's <laughs> Sounds a, um, good. there's a this show called The Order that I'm in that's that's coming out in the next couple of weeks that's about a college kid. Sort of like an I think of it as like an older person's Harry Potter, a lot of magic and oh, good. And stuff, yeah. But I'm really, really excited about this television show that I did in Australia that hopefully will be coming out at the end of the – sometime in this year. It's called Reckoning, and and people should look it up. It's a thriller about a serial killer and a cop. It's so good. It's a sort of character study of – Oh, good. – of the two. And uh, Which parts it's, it's you like play? A, well, you'll have to see. Okay. You'll have to see uh-huh. what part I play. <laughs> okay. But it's uh, – Okay, listeners, we'll be back. <laughs> Reckoning. But it's one of the best things. It's one of the best jobs that I've gotten to do. Whose project is it? Who's running it? Well, it's Sony International, and mm-hmm. David Hubbard is the creator of it. Aiden Young is is the other main actor in it. He's he's fantastic. He was in a show called Rectify. Mm-hmm. I loved that show. Yeah, he was. He was, was he the lead? He was the lead in that. That show was amazing. No, it was really good. I right? was so bummed when they didn't, when it <clears throat> ended. I was like, oh, we need more yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's uh it's a it's a this show. I'm really. Very excited about this show. There's so much yeah. there's so much good programming. I find there myself is. watching more stuff than I've ever watched in my life. And I just absolutely love it. I watch I can't wait to, I, I like lights, short things like Schitt's Creek and uh-huh. Jane the Virgin, <laughs> you know, uh-huh, this kind uh-huh. of stuff. Schitt's Creek is so funny to me. I just uh-huh. find them Eugene Levy is hysterical. Oh, he's so good. It's and gotten his so son, much better too, like it's from the first season show. and now. I mean, this is a talk about performance. I mean, Those the, the pe- people so that are great. on that show as the as the four main characters, five really, if the, you include the girl, are fabulous performers. Mm-hmm. What do you watch? Well, I'm watching. Well, I'm watching Homeland right now because I'm going to be doing the last season of Homeland, which I'm excited about. But you know, I watched Bloodline. Was it was a was, it, was like I love that show. Yeah. And that Australian actor who's in it. Was oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's great. What are you reading? I'm reading The Dinner right now. They made it into a movie. It's 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 a I read that. Did you read it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's yeah. no good. Yeah. I'm I love to read. Yeah. I love to read. I'm right now um I'm interested in the presidents. Uh-huh. And um for no particular reason, but I'm right at this moment in time I'm focused on the presidents and I'm reading about Truman right now. 
Oh, wow. And um, so I, I really, like, it started, you know, when um, Lynn Mel- Lynn manuel Miranda did Hamilton, which uh-huh. I, of course, immediately went and read. Mm-hmm. And then I felt so sad that he got killed, you know. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, what an extraordinary man he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy them. I find myself frequently wanting to see how other people live their lives. That's why uh-huh. That's why I'm hosting a podcast with my friend Leanne, because <laughs> I'm really interested in Curiosity. people's stories and finding out how they became who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody's walked a different path, and they've all had different journeys. And it's interesting to see what people make out of the you know, clean slate they have when mm-hmm. they start. And each, each person is so different. Everybody. Yes. such a different path that everybody has. And, but you, you, has, you seem the overriding feeling that I have – after having spent this time with you, is that you're peaceful. You know, you're you're doing what you want to do in your life. Mm-hmm. Your life is a lot of fullness in it. I'm and, really lucky. I mean, you're tortured, I'm sure, in some way because you're an actor. <laughs> of course, but that's just no. You know. But I feel I feel like I am extraordinarily lucky in a lot of ways. But finding something that I was passionate about, like a profession that I was really passionate about, and fulfilled by, both sort of spiritually and actively, physically, mentally, that's good fortune, you know, because, you know, that's the thing that you're, that's going to be kind of the, you know, especially for a man, but for anybody, you know, um, I know it's inherently a male thing, that the thing of work, but of course, everybody, every, both genders, everybody works, you know, you have family and your social life and all that, which is arguably more important, but the, the, the job thing is the thing that, you know, is the sort of, running thread that pushed the, you have to make a living, you know, and if you can find something that you love to do, that you're passionate about getting better at, that you find inspiring, that you find interesting. I just feel so lucky that I just came upon it. It was so random how it happened. Somebody said audition for something, you know, it's so random. I don't know how it happened. It's insane. (laughs) It's absolutely insane. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Know. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks. Really. Thanks a lot. Thank what a lovely time to spend with you. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. Next time, our guest will be entertainment industry veteran Bruce Sharrett. Bruce started his career in New York working for George Sheck, manager of icons Bobby Darren and Connie Francis. Bruce later went on to manage legendary actor and comedian Alan King, who remains an important part of his life. Bruce's accomplished career includes TV agent, comedy development executive, TV producer, and talent relations executive. He's VP and entertainment historian at the Friars Club in New York City and at global entertainment and media company, Rat Pack. Bruce oversees talent-driven projects in all areas of media, He'll share his early love of show business and the legends that have crossed his path along with some of the most interesting and funny stories that happened along the way. So join us when we rewind to the beginning with Bruce Sherrod on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes Store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 